Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, open them to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 19. And I'll remind you that this passage of Colossians, especially verses 15 to 18, is probably one of the most high pictures of Jesus and who he really is. And this book was written in order to combat heresy or false teaching saying that Jesus was not God. So last week we looked at the person of Christ. Today I want you to see what he has done. Let's look at the work of Christ beginning in verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him were the things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'd like to pray with you. Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts today especially those who have never received Christ, those who have never heard the gospel. We pray, God, you would make it crystal clear and draw them to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. April the 15th, 1912, almost 108 years ago, the White Star Ocean Liner, Titanic, sank in the freezing waters of the North Atlantic. There were some amazing eyewitness accounts after that ship went underwater and sunk to the bottom. There were some eyewitness accounts that shows the extremes of human behavior. Cowardice on one side and sacrificial love on the other side. After the Titanic sank, lifeboats were spread among the icy waters, among the screaming and drowning swimmers. There were 18 lifeboats that were only half full, that, and, and there were 1,600, almost 1,600 people in the water dying. But out of that 1,600, only 13 were rescued. In boat number five, when third officer Pittman heard the anguished cries, he turned the boat around and shouted, pull towards the wreck, we're going to save them. But the passengers protested. Why should we lose our lives in a useless attempt to save others from that ship, from the ship? And Pittman gave in, and for the next hour, the 40 people in that boat, and the boat would hold 65, so 25 spaces at least, They listened to the cries of dying people, and some of them were no more than 200 yards away. 
In boat number two, the fourth officer, Boxall, asked the ladies in his boat if they wanted to go back and rescue the others, and they resisted and demanded that they not go back. So he gave in, and they sat and listened while people froze to death and drowned all around them. In the number six boat, it was different. There, the ladies wanted to go back and search for their loved ones. But the quartermaster, Hitchens, refused, painting a vivid picture of what would happen if a mob of drowning people could get to their boat. So they sat and listened to the anguished cries of dying men, women, and children. Out of the 18 boats, number 14 returned to help. But it was an hour after the Titanic sank, and the captain or the skipper of that boat basically said that they were waiting for the crowd to thin out a bit. Aren't you glad that God is not that way? For you see that God knew the human race needed to be rescued. He knew we were infected. Now here we are afraid of a virus, and rightfully so, but God knew that the human race was infected with something much worse than a virus. It was called sin. And that we could not save ourselves. And Jesus Christ came to save us. Last week we looked at the person of Christ. Today I want you to see a snapshot of the gospel. Folks, I want to tell you there's only one gospel. And the word gospel means good news. And if people needed any good news, it's today. But there's only one gospel. It's not any other way except through Jesus Christ. So let's look at this for a moment. First, I want you to notice the initiation and the incarnation of the gospel. Verse 19 says, it pleased the Father. God is the one who initiated salvation. God is the one who looked down and saw us in our need, saw us in our desperateness, and said, I want to save them. Isn't it amazing that God wants you? That God comes to you first? We sometimes think, well, I'll come to God when I'm ready. I want to tell you, God's already coming to you. He's already initiated it, and he initiated it in the incarnation when he became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Jesus, who is fully God, became fully man when he was born into this world. We celebrate that at Christmas time. The false teachers at Colossae had said that all physical things were evil, so Jesus couldn't possibly have become a man. He could not have become physical flesh because it's all evil. And yet Paul states, and the scripture states, that God became flesh. Jesus was fully God and fully man. The second part of the incarnation, first, is that he became a man, but the second part is that he did not cease to be fully God. God was pleased, it says in verse 19, to have all the fullness dwell in him. Now, that's interesting. All the fullness means the sum total of all the divine power and attributes. And Paul uses that term over eight times in the book of Colossians to affirm that Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Godhead. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, unified 
He is fully God. And the word dwell means to take up residence and points to the incarnation. If you look over in chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form because he is fully God. If Jesus had not been fully God, he could not have saved us. I have in my hand, you'll recognize this, duct tape. Now, it's kind of cruel to end something with a T and start another word with a T like duct tape. So it always sounds like duck, duct tape. But all the men watching me, (laughs) you know what this is. And you know it can pretty much fix about anything. Now, my kids learned that a long time ago. They'd see me duct tape a lot of different things. And sometimes when they would bring something to me that was broken, they would say, Dad, can you duct tape it? Or can you glue it? Can you fix it? Well, a lot of times you can. You can fix a lot of things with duct tape. Ask any man. that had, This is probably one of the best tools in the toolbox. Right, guys? It really is. But do you know duct tape can't fix everything? It's always a, a sad time when your kids come to you and say, Dad, can you fix this? Or, or Granddad, can you fix this? And you have to say, no, I'm sorry. Duct tape's not going to fix it this time. But I want you to know when it comes to salvation, you never have to worry about Jesus not being able to fix it. Because I want to tell you, Jesus being God, died for our sins. He lived a sinless life. He can fix salvation. He can fix the sin problem in you. He can cure you of it. He can save you from it. And so the first thing you see is that God, in the gospel, God came looking for us. He initiated it. He became one of us. But then notice the implementation of the gospel. In verse 20, it says he came to reconcile to himself. Reconcile. That's a word that literally means to restore something back to its original state. Now, notice it's God who's the one that reconciles. We didn't reach out to God, God reached out to us. One of the Bible dictionaries uh, defines reconciliation this way the restoration of friendship and fellowship after estrangement. It also means to change thoroughly from one position to another. Reconciliation happens when someone or something is completely altered so that a relationship of peace can begin with one with whom estrangement had taken place. In other words, when two people are against one another or there's enmity between that, reconciliation brings it back to the way it was. And then he puts in that word, all things. To reconcile all things to himself. Sin not only cursed man, it not only cursed human race, it cursed creation. The universe groans to be redeemed. And we looked at verse 15 through 18 last week. We saw that Jesus was the creator, that he created all things good. And now we read that all things need to be reconciled. But what happened? Well, when sin entered the world, it cursed everything. 
Just like this COVID-19 is affecting the whole world, well, much worse than that, sin has cursed creation. That's why there's so much tragedy today. That's why there's so much death. Death wasn't even in the world until sin came. The whole earth, the whole creation needs to be redeemed. And Christ is going to undo that. He's going to redeem it. Creation will be restored. Listen to Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. When God created the world, everything was perfect. Everything was in harmony. But sin changed all of that. We're the ones that rebelled against God and God allowed the world to be cursed I guess you would say because sin brought that and Paul goes on to say that all things will be reconciled whether things on earth or things in heaven now that sounds strange why would heaven need to be reconciled you ever thought about that? And in fact, we're told in Revelation there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Well, you see, heaven and earth need to be cleansed because Satan rebelled out of heaven and Satan still had access to heaven. And so it's going to be remade. I don't completely understand all of that, but the material and spiritual world, the visible and the invisible, all things will be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. I like the way the message, if you have the message, the Bible, it's, it's a paraphrase. You need to have a, a translation of the Bible instead of just the message. But I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases Colossians 1.20. Listen to what he says. All the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in the vibrant harmonies all because of his death, his blood that poured down, the down from the cross. And did you notice the results are peace? And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace. A lot of people think today that peace is the absence of any kind of problems or conflict, but peace is the presence of God. And when we don't have the presence of God in our life, there's no peace in our heart. That's why there's a void that people experience because they don't know Jesus. They don't have a relationship with God. They have no peace. But two words stand out in this. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. This group's been singing about the cross and the blood. Both are striking terms when you think of Christ. Blood indicates the trauma of his death. In the Bible, blood is precious because it's viewed as life-giving. The sight of blood today is even scary to people. Even little children, when they, when they hurt themselves and they see blood, they immediately go, uh-oh, there's something wrong. You know what's wrong? Blood's not supposed to be on the outside of the body, is it? When we start bleeding, we know there's a problem. 
Well, blood is life-giving, and the fact that the blood is mentioned is another connection to the humanness of Jesus and his suffering on the cross. And the other word is cross. It was a symbol of humiliation. It was a symbol of dishonor. And death on the cross was to suffer severe shame, and the cross represents exposure, shame, humiliation, and death. And when you put the two together, Jesus suffered... And he was humiliated for, those, for us. And those two things can cause peace in our life. You see how worthy Jesus is? Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The cross is central to the gospel. It's central to salvation. It's central to all history. We have the problem of sin and the problem of God's wrath. Because of our sins, we were separated from God. And because of God's wrath, we were under God's judgment. But the cross took care of both of those things. Took care of our sin debt. Took care of the wrath of God. And at the cross, Christ took away our sin. And at the cross, he took away, our, took away the wrath. We don't face that wrath. 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. So only because of Jesus is there a gospel. Period. No one else, there's no other way to heaven. When these people tell you, well, there's a lot of different roads to heaven. No, who, who could take care of the sin problem that we have? Only a sinless one can do that, and it's Jesus. But now I want to show you the good part. I want you to see the transformation of the gospel. Look at verse 21. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Now I want you to notice all these elements of this good news. This is for you. First of all, notice the alienation of man. That's our past. In John 3, 19 and 20, it says, and this is the condemnation that the light, that is Jesus, has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Before we came to Christ, we were three things. Right here in verse 21 and first part of 22, it says, first of all, we were alienated. To alienate means to be, you're strange, you're a stranger, you're a foreigner. It carries a real strong implication. It means alienations to withdraw affections, to make indifferent or hostile. It means where love or friendship once existed, it is no longer there. We use the word alien to refer to somebody who may not live here or live in this nation. We, we refer to aliens as those who are outsiders or strangers. But the scripture says that apart from God's grace, we were all alienated from God. Ephesians 2.12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
Well, that describes society, doesn't it? Strangers having no hope and without God in the world. We once were lost, but now we're found. We once were slaves, we've been set free. We were also enemies, it says, actively hostile to God. Our minds were at war with God. Romans 8, 7 says, because the fleshly or the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. You wonder why people today think the way they think and do the things they do. It's because they don't have God in their life. They're enemies of God in their mind. They may not openly say, I, I'm an enemy of God, but they don't ever think about God. God's not a part of their life, and he's not changed their life. They're in darkness. James 4, 4 says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. We were alienated. We were enemies. The third thing is we were totally controlled by wickedness. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And as a result, our deeds were wicked. The scripture says there's none righteous, no, not one. So we were hopeless. We were alienated. We were separated from God. But then notice the reconciliation of God. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Here's our present. Our past was we were alienated. The present God has reconciled us. He's removed the barrier. God overcame our love for the darkness and hatred of the light. He turned us from enemies into friends, into children. And notice that it was Christ's physical body. Again, a reference to the humanity of Jesus. His physical body that reconciled us. The false teachers denied that Jesus had a real human body. But the New Testament makes it abundantly clear that Jesus was both God and man. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. And that means you're healed spiritually. You're spiritual your sins are forgiven because of the death of Christ before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden their mental and their moral systems were running smoothly everything was good but when they sinned they were infected by sin that has been passed down to every person since right now we are afraid that that virus is going to be given from person to person well, I'm going to tell you about the sin virus. The sin virus, you're born with it. Somebody doesn't give it to you, you're born with it. You're born with a sinful nature. Nobody has to teach you to sin. You're already infected when you're born. And only Jesus Christ can solve that. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And on the cross, Jesus spanned time and space to undo the damage of sin. In Romans 5, 10, Paul puts it this way, For if while we were enemies when... For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son... 
How much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see what God has done through Jesus? He's reconciling us. Now, please don't turn it off yet because this is the best part. Because I want you to notice the justification of sinners. Verse 22 says, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. When the Lord saves you and God reconciles you through Jesus Christ, he, the, the Lord Jesus presents you three ways. He first says you are holy. It means to be set apart. You're his own special people. When God saves you, you're his own special child. God knows your name. He knows everything about you. He knows you're holed up in your home today because of this virus. He knows everything about you. He loves you. You're not alone. You are presented to God through Jesus, holy, set apart, his own special people. But you're also presented blameless. The word was applied to temple sacrifices to an animal that had to be without a blemish. It was amazing that God looks at his children and sees no blemish on us. We have been made clean. We've been washed. We, we talk about I've been washed in the blood. We've been cleansed. God looks at us as no sinner anymore. And we're also above reproach, which means beyond or free from accusation. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. But guess what? Through Jesus Christ, he is silenced. When Satan accuses you, Jesus says, he's one, they're one of mine. He or she's one of mine. You can't accuse me anymore, Satan. Jude 24 says, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. You see, our perspective is, I am filthy and unworthy of your favor. But God says, you've been made holy, been set apart. You're my own special child. Our perspective is, I am guilty. But God says, no, you have been made blameless. Our perspective is, I deserve nothing but judgment. But God says, you have been made above reproach not to be accused anymore. I want this hand to represent our position before God. And because it says that we are alienated and because we're enemies of God and because we have lived in wickedness, then we'll just let the closed fist be the basic look toward God. This is the way we look. But when you turn from your sin and you ask the Lord, you ask God to forgive you and you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sin because he was sinless, and he rose again, and when you place your faith in Christ, God covers you with the sinlessness of Jesus. 
So that when God sees you now, he sees the righteousness and the sinlessness of Jesus. You stand clean before the Lord. Isn't it amazing how Satan tries to set up what I'm going to call a wicked video loop in your mind? He constantly tries to dredge up memories of your past and your sin. And he keeps saying, you're no good. You're filthy, rotten sinner. You're no good. But in contrast, the Bible says that when Jesus reconciles us to God, our sinful status is changed. We are no longer defined by our mistakes. He has reconciled us. He has brought us to him. We're now seen in a new light, in the righteousness of Christ. I love the words written by Edward Moat. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. The last stanza says this, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. When you stand before God, you stand forgiven cleansed, blameless, holy, above reproach. That's what Jesus has done. That's the justification of sinners. There's one final element mentioned here. Is the continuation of the saints. You know, not everybody that claims to be a Christian is actually a Christian. How do you know? How do you know if you're truly a believer in Christ? Well, Paul says that if your faith is genuine, you're going to continue in the faith. Now, a lot of people have misinterpreted verse 23 where it says, if indeed you continue in the faith. And they look at the word if like it's a conditional phrase, like if you continue, you'll be saved. But that's not the, that's not the way it's written. The word if is not to, to earn your salvation, it's to prove your salvation. For example, I can say, if you, turned, if you tuned in today on the live stream, you heard some wonderful music. Well, of course you tuned in or you wouldn't be hearing me now. Since you tuned in, you heard some wonderful music. Well, the same is true here. Since you have been saved, you will continue in the faith. I don't believe anyone can lose their salvation, but we often hear people that claim to be saved that have never been saved in the first place. Isn't it interesting when you ask somebody, did you trust Jesus as your Savior? But the scripture seems to base assurance of salvation in the present. The question should not be, did you trust Jesus as your Savior? The question should be, are you trusting Jesus as your Savior? Because even though you made a decision a long time ago, you still should be trusting in him. And the word continue there, if you continue, since indeed you continue in the faith, it's intensified. It means to continue and continue on. 
The idea is that because we have been reconciled, we continue on in the faith. I mean, so how do you do that? How do you continue on in the faith? Those two things, steadfast. By being steadfast, by being grounded, the word established means to have a good foundation. He's using an architectural image when he says to be established and firmed, and firm, not moved. Just as a house firmly set on a foundation will not move. If you're truly saved and built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you will not be moved. In fact, Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I like what one seminary professor, the way he described the idea of continuance, he he put it this way, and he used six words that all begin with the letter F. He said, the faith, that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. The faith that falters, that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. There are a lot of people who claim that they have given their lives to Christ, but all they did was go because their friends did, they walked an aisle, they maybe have gotten baptized, but there was no commitment, there was no establishment of their life in Jesus Christ. And the second thing Paul mentions is the security we have, or the, to be secure in the hope. Now, it's interesting, he uses the word not moved away from the hope of the gospel. He's writing to a group of people who are in an earthquake zone. Colossae and that area, that valley, was known to have a lot of earthquakes. And so the word not moved can actually mean earth, earthquake stricken. He said, don't move around. You have planted your faith in Jesus Christ You're anchored. We're anchored in the hope of the gospel. Even in the midst of a storm, our anchor is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the only way to be saved. And if you've not met Jesus, you don't have a foundation. You have no hope. The security that we have is in Jesus. The security is not in the church. The security is not in the denomination. It's not in an earthly person. It's in the Lord. Our security is in the gospel. We have hope. Even in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, we still have hope. And one other thing you'll notice in that verse is to be preached to every creature. The gospel is meant to be heard and not hoarded but to be shared with other people. Ladies and gentlemen, we have such a great opportunity now to share hope with the world. There are so many people who are afraid, who are wondering what's going to happen to them and they've lost their jobs and they're they're worried about their family and and rightfully so. I'm not saying not be concerned, but we know, we know where the security and where the hope and the assurance and the foundation comes from. It's in Jesus Christ. In closing, the Bible compares the Christian life as a race. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So today, for some of you who are listening 
and watching online, or maybe you see this later on television, your goal is to start the race, to get in the race. You've never truly admitted that you're an enemy of God, that you're separated from God. Oh, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. Yeah, but your sin has separated you from God. And to get in the race, you've got to trust Jesus who died for your sin. You trust him to forgive you and to save you. And if you've never done that, you can do that today. You don't have to join our church. You don't have to be a Baptist. But you have to know Jesus. And folks, if you've never trusted Jesus, it's a commitment of your life. It's not just praying a prayer. A lot of people pray foxhole prayers and they don't mean it. I'm talking about praying and committing your life and asking God. First, you've got to admit, I'm alienated from God. I'm separated from God. And the only hope you have is through the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so you ask God to forgive you. You just simply say, God, I, I know I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me. I believe Jesus is the way. I believe he was the sinless one. I believe he's the God-man. He, I believe he died on the cross for my sin and you put my sin there and I believe he rose again. And Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you. And the scripture says if you believe in faith and trust, his spirit lives in you. It's the guarantee of your salvation, the down payment. It's the guarantee of the hope that you have for the future. Some of you need to get in the race. Some of you need to get back in the race. Somewhere in your past, you, you started the race and you trusted Jesus for salvation, but you've gotten sidetracked. I call it getting in the ditch. Well, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll walk down in that ditch and forgive you, put you back up on the path. You don't lose your salvation. You restore that fellowship with him. You reconcile with him. And for those of you who've been in the race for many years, you've been running steadily and surely you know the Lord and love the Lord, you learned a long time ago that the Christian life is not a hundred yard dash. It's a super marathon. And you want to finish well. And your goal is to, Lord, I want to cross the finish line, not to be saved, but because I'm saved, I want to finish well. What a beautiful snapshot of the gospel! It's simple. And if you've never received Christ, you can do that right now. Right there in your home, where you are, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. And I'm going to pray. And then I want to talk to you about how to respond. Heavenly Father, we pray for those who may be listening today who realize they have no relationship with you. They know, they know about you, but they're still alienated from you. And so, Lord, we pray for them today that you would show them how much you love them and how you came seeking them, how you came to rescue and to reconcile. 
I pray, Lord, that people now would respond to you in commitment to you. And, and Lord, I, I lift up those that, that need Jesus, that they would right now commit their lives to you. And I pray for those who may be out of the race, so to speak. They haven't lost their salvation, but they are definitely not where they should be with you. Maybe there's a relationship that is there that shouldn't be there, or they're living in sin. Lord, I, you know the hearts of all people, so would you help people get back in the race? And for those who are still running that race and that long marathon toward the finish, help them to be faithful to the very end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.